you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you were a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of commendation, condemnation, excuse me, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Father, it's your word. So help us to heed it. Pay attention to it, because you search our hearts. You know our ways. So open my eyes, our eyes, that we might behold Christ, 
and give him the glory that the lamb deserves. In Jesus' name, amen. It was in the late 1800s when a farmer brought his family to the city for the first time. He had lived on the farm and he wanted for a vacation to take his wife and their young son into the city. So because of the time, they decided that they were going to make a day of this. And so what his wife wanted to do was go to a department store where she could see fabric. So they let her stay there. And the farmer and his son decided that what they wanted to do, they wanted to go into the tallest building that they could see since they lived on a farm and they only had one story in their house. So the tallest building in the city was a hotel. So the farmer and his wife walked into the hotel. They walked into the hotel. They witnessed something they had never seen before. At the end of the lobby, there were these two steel doors and there was something above the door. And this old woman bent over using a cane walked into those two steel doors and the door shut. Once the door shut, they saw this arrow go from one to two to three to four to five, and then it stopped. And then after a bit, it went from five to four to three to two to one. And when the silver doors opened, out walked this drop-dead gorgeous woman. Father looked at his son and said, hold the place because I'm getting your mother in there. <laughs> Transformation into the image of Christ isn't quick or painless. From the time that I was a new Christian, 2 Corinthians 3.18 captured my heart. In fact, it was 50 years ago this year, and my wife and I were dating, and we were at Pinebrook in the wintertime. We weren't my members of a Bible Fellowship Church, but our church had a rally there in the winter and I remember the Bible teacher that was there spoke on this text and I, I was just gripped by it and ever since then this text basically has become my life verse. It's wonderful for Christians because for new Christians it points us to what happens when we come to faith that we have an unveiled face. It's also a needed passage for people that have been Christians for a while and quite frankly can become grumpy and cantankerous because it reminds us that being a Christian is going from one degree of glory to the next, not getting stuck. For older Christians 
who know about going from one degree of glory to the next, but also know about the very real struggles and sadnesses that aging brings. This text reminds us of a glory that's yet ahead for us. Now a little bit of background. Second Corinthians is probably the most personal revealing book that the Apostle Paul wrote. He tells us through the course of that book about his joys. He tells us sometimes about his struggles. The people at Corinth, well, let's just put it like this. It, it was a town on the seacoast, and all the horrible things you heard about sailors is true of Corinth. If you had the people of Corinth in your church, some of you would be looking for the exit sign as quick as you could. Because when Paul wrote to this church, he talked about the type of people that were in this church. You have to turn there, but let me, let me just read something to you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then here's the kicker. And such were some of you. Imagine a church full of those types of people that had come to Christ, placed their faith in Christ, and then were new people. They had a past, but their past was behind them. Paul was also aware that there were people that were there that were peddling the gospel for money. So he added, we aren't sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. Now, I'm not sure where you are spiritually this morning. Some of you may be just kind of sailing and things are going your way. Some of you, this may have been a really hard week for you. But there's one question for all of us that this text answers. And the question is this, how does Christ change his people? How does Christ change his people? And that's why this text always gripped my heart, because that's, that's what we want if, if we're indeed a Christian, aren't we? We, we want to be changed into the image of Christ. We don't want to stay like we are. We don't want to be stuck or, or grumpy or cantankerous or just finding fault. How does Christ change his people? 
And this text speaks to that. It says three things. It says he opens our eyes. He changes our heart. And he guarantees his work. So let's look. 2 Corinthians 3.18. How does Christ change his people? He opens our eyes. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, the first thing you see is, and we all. That's, that's put first in the sentence because it, it's, it's emphatic. He's trying to get our attention. In other words, if you look at the Old Covenant, only one person had a face that would shine, and that was Moses. And if you go back some time and look at Exodus 34, this, a remarkable thing happened. Moses would go in, in the tent of meeting before the Lord, and when he came out, his face was shining. People looked at it. It was a supernatural thing that his face had a shine about it. But what Moses would do, he would put a veil over his face. And the reason he did was he didn't want people seeing the shine go away. Then when he went in before the Lord again, he would take the veil off and his face would shine because he was, in, he was in the presence of the Lord and his face would shine. And what the writer is trying to do here, Paul is, is saying, unlike Moses, who was the only person whose face would shine, we all, everybody who was a Christian, not just one, but all of us are being changed. All of us see him the, the contrast is is pretty stark the ministry of death versus the ministry of the spirit the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness a fading glory that paul had or the permanent glory that you and i have by looking at the lord jesus christ now, this glory is something that's inward, not outward. Looking at your faces, I'm glad it's inward, because outward, I'm not seeing a whole lot. But it's inward, which means that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is changing you and I from the inside out. And isn't that really what we want? When our hearts change, Outwardly, we change as well. Moses was the only one, but in Christ, all of us have that in common, that we are being changed, we are being transformed from the inside out. And how does that happen? Because it says we have an unveiled face. And that word there, it, in Greek, it means something that happened in a point in time and the results continue. When did you and I get an unveiled face? When we placed our faith in Christ, God took the veil away. And ever since that day, we behold the glory of Christ. We have an unveiled face. We can see him. Now, if you, if you notice, a couple times a word pops up in this chapter veil and glory 
People without Christ, it says they have a veil over their faces. The King James Version, when it gets to unveiled face, it says open face. Now, I have something here. Younger people may not even know what this is, but older people do. This is a watch that was given to me when I retired from the Navy. And in true Navy fashion, it doesn't work anymore. You can't even wind it up. But this is, <laughs> this is a watch that, from what I'm told, it used to be that like grandparents would have their kids and the kids would ask to see it and the grandfather would just kind of sit down and he, the kids would try and open it. They couldn't find out how to open it. And then the grandfather would just say, hey, you're not doing it right. You just have to do this. And then it would open up and they could see the time. Eventually, they made watches like this that didn't have this protection. So you didn't have to worry about opening it up. You would pull it out and you would see it right away. It was called an open face watch. And what the scriptures is saying is when we come to Christ, the veil is taken off and we behold Christ with an open face. We see him and he sees us. Now, the idea here, beholding, it, it means that we're, we're looking at him and being changed into his image. Think, think about that. Um, some of you, probably a lot of you, were fortunate enough to be raised in a Christian home. <clears throat> and you can't think of a time when you didn't trust Christ. But actually, the, the time did come in your life when, when you personally trusted Christ and you would behold him. <coughs> a friend of mine was raised in a Christian home. Both his parents were Christians. He went to Philadelphia College of the Bible. He took a little bit of seminary, and then he went out to, to Grace Seminary, and he was taking a summer remedial class in Greek, and it wasn't until he was in that Greek class that the professor was talking about a, a tense of a verb that he placed his faith in Christ. All, all the while, he grew up in a Christian home thinking he was a Christian, went to a Christian college. He was going through the motions, but he had never actually had that life-transforming change. What made it confusing for him was growing up in a Christian home and being protected from a lot of things, but his, he had never had the veil lifted. I wasn't fortunate enough to be raised in a Christian home. Although I do remember, since I was a child, going with my mother to a liberal church every Sunday Ever since I was young, I attended it. I remember sitting in church with my mother, and quite frankly, our church had a bulletin that the whole order of service was, was put down there. 
And I remember having a pencil, and I loved having a bullet in so I could check off the things so I could see how close we were getting to the end. I never knew what a benediction was, but I knew enough that when we got there, I would get outside. But my heart was never changed there. I was not a Christian. And when I read the Bible, quite frankly, I didn't understand it at all. So how do we, how do we get rid of the veil? We, we can't. We can't. It's the Lord Jesus who removes the veil from us. When we read the scriptures, when we have a sense of our guilt, Christ uses the Holy Spirit to convict us to bring us the faith, and that's how the veil is removed. We look at Christ, and he transforms us. In the book that a lot of you hopefully have read already, Pilgrim's Progress, it's put like this. Pilgrim is leaving the city of destruction, and he's going to the celestial city, and as he walks along, he's just burdened by sin, and sin is pictured as though it's a a big uh, burden on his back so that when he walks, he's walking bent over and he's, he's walking along and he gets to this point where there's a hill and on the hill there's a cross. And when he looks at the cross, the burden rolls off. That's what it is to have the veil taken. You look at Christ, you realize you're guilty, and you place your faith in him, and your trust in him, and that's when the veil is taken off. And you see things you never saw before. And you look at things differently. I read this story about this young girl who was walking through a, an art museum, and as she's going through she saw this picture of Christ on the cross. and She was just a little girl, and, and she was looking at the cross and was amazed by it. And as she was there, just, you know, kids can be very curious. This little girl started looking around, and she saw this art critic. And he's just kind of, you know, he's got his arms fixed like this, and he's looking at the picture. You could tell he's just, just trying to, find things that he doesn't like about it. And this little girl walked up and she tugged on his coat and she said, mister, you're not looking at the picture right. If you want to understand the picture, you have to get up close and kneel down and look up. And then you can understand the picture. So how does Christ change us, the first thing he does, he opens our eyes. He takes away the veil. And then he changes our heart. It's put like this. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Now the word transform there is where we get the word metamorphosis. It means what's real on the inside is going to come out. 
This word's only used a couple times in Scripture. It's used here. It's used when Jesus was transfigured before a few of his disciples. It's used in Romans chapter 12 when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the word here refers to what is real as opposed to what may be external. It refers to our hearts being changed, our outlook, our expectations, our desires, a, a transformation of, of, the, of the essential man. We're changed into the image of Christ. We may not look any different on the inside, on the outside, excuse me, we may not look any different, but on the inside, there's something happening. There's something changing us. And for some of you, it may be you don't see the changes, but other people look at you and they see the changes that are happening to you. It's not quick, it's not painless, it's not automatic, but it's, it's real. There's a story in the scripture about Jesus. He's walking along, crowded, and this little Jewish tax collector named Zacchaeus wants to see him, so he climbs up on a tree, and you know, you know the story. Jesus walks by. Zacchaeus, come down here. I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors, they were Jews that collected taxes from, the fellow, from their fellow Jews and the money went to pay for the Romans, which is, was the invading force. It's like your country being run over and your fellow citizens are collecting taxes from you to pay the bad guys. And the way the Jews, Jewish tax collectors made their money is, say you owed $100, they would say you owe $120. They would keep the 20 and turn the $100 in. So they were taking the money from their own people, turning over to the Romans. And this guy, he's one of the head tax collectors, Zacchaeus. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm standing at your house today. Zacchaeus is just, you know, he's a changed man. He says, you know, if I've stolen anything, I'm, I'm going to return it. I'm going to give half my money to the poor. He says all these things. And what he does, he invites all his friends, all these other tax collectors to his house for a party. And Jesus is there. Now, imagine the cast of characters that are there. All these tax collectors and riffraff. Zacchaeus is so thrilled. He wants everybody to meet this person called Jesus. And you know who had the biggest fit with them? It was the religious leaders at the time. when we're changed into the image of Christ. We want other people to experience that as well. And you know, when other people experience that, they come as they are. And they're changed over time. But they don't come just like us. One of the one of the dangers is expecting people to be just like us. But change into the image of Christ happens from the inside out. When I was in Virginia, 
working with a youth group, we had a number of the teenagers get really serious about their faith. And one of the fellows, his dad was an admitted atheist. And lo and behold, his father came to faith. And the son asked me if I would disciple his dad, which I did, and it was a great thing. But John, the guy who had just come to faith, he was a, he was a simple person. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. But John smoked. Uh, and he carried his cigarettes in his pocket. And when we met together, I didn't say anything about it. John came to church, and one of the Pharisees in the congregation came up to John, and he pointed at his pocket, and he said, if you were a real Christian, that wouldn't be there. You know, when people come to faith, they bring a lot of baggage with them. And if all we're interested is them getting rid of the baggage, we'll never be able to appreciate when the change happens because we're just trying to get them to look like us. And don't we want them to look like Christ, not like us? And to be honest with you, I, I was guilty of the same thing. When we lived in Chicago, my daughter said we could go to this church that was run by a group called Japuza, which stands for Jesus People USA. And this group, it, it wasn't a great part of Chicago, and I'm, I'm not sure there is a good part of Chicago, but this was not a good part of Chicago. And this group bought an eight-story hotel building, and in the hotel building, they had a senior citizens living, they had a place, uh, a nursery. Most of the people that were living in the building were on some sort of government assistance. They were people that didn't have a lot of money. But my daughter said, let's, let's go to a, their worship service. So we did, it was, it was in a high school gym. And I thought, well, you know, this, most of these people are under 30 years old. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm gonna really look youthful. I'm not wearing a tie. So I had my Dockers and my polo shirt on. And boy, did I look out of place. And these young people are coming in, uh, this spiked hair, one had pink hair, they had bones coming out of their ears. And I'm, I feel like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, no, we're not in Kansas anymore, you know? I'm, I'm seeing this and inwardly I'm thinking, man, what's, What's wrong with these people, you know? And then, um, then the music started. It, it was unreal. I, I had never been before or since into a, in a, a place where the worship was that heartfelt and deep and moving. And part, part of it was because 
a lot of these kids were their families' throwaways. The families kicked them out because they didn't like some of the things that they were doing. And these, they had nowhere else to go. And they had come to faith and found a worshiping community that, that took them as they were, but was bringing the gospel to them to, to change them. And it was, it was an amazing thing to me, even now talking about it years later. It, I saw such brokenness and such repentance in those people. That, that's what we want, isn't it? We, we want to be changed into the image of Christ. We want to be broken. We want to be heartfelt. We want to be growing. Is that what we're seeking when we meet together? Or do we just want everything to go in order? Now, when it comes to this word being transformed, the warning is we can't do it. The encouragement is Christ does. He changes us. We don't change ourselves. And it happens from the inside out. It goes from one degree of glory to the next, little by little. What's happening in any part of your day is Christ changing you. For some of us, uh, our lives are pretty casual. Others seem to really go through health struggles and disappointments and even have some people that from the time that they're a teenager their life is just one struggle. Joni Erickson Tata, 17 years old, becomes a quadriplegic and, and yet she continues to worship and to give thanks. But the point is the Lord Jesus Christ uses all those things to make us more into his image. From the time you placed your faith in Christ to your face-to-face -face with Christ, all the things that happen to you, God is using to conform you to his image. So how does Christ change us? He opens our eyes. He changes our heart. And he, he guarantees his work. There used to be a guy who sold suits on um, television. It was for Men's Warehouse. Remember the slogan he said? You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. I'm not sure what happened to him, but I know he's not working for Men's Warehouse anymore. So uh, be careful who you believe as far as their guarantees. But when Christ changes us, it says he changes us into the same image his image. That word image is used, if you look at a coin, the image there is just like the die. We're changed to be like him. Yeah, I'm not sure what you were doing yesterday, but three times I had to go outside and I was shoveling and I was scraping ice yesterday. And when I came in, I felt so cold, but I felt so alive just to be doing that. And I was inside, and it occurred to me, when I was thinking about the 
message for today that we're supposed to look like him, not look like each other. We're not supposed to be an assembly line like little Hershey kisses that we have wide bottoms and pointed little heads. We're supposed to look like Christ and look differently. And you know, in a church that's really moving forward, we're going to have our senior saints that are showing us the way. We're going to have some of the rest of us are going to be following. But we're also going to have young people and other people that are coming to faith that are going to be really struggling. And they're going to make things difficult at times. But that's the sign of growth when you have people that are coming together and we're all trying to be like Christ, but we're all at different stages of our development. But the good news is the image is going to be the same one day. We're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. So my question is, what do people see when they look at you? Do they see a person who's, who loves the Lord, who has a spirit of humility about them, who is joyful? In North Carolina, college students were going to have a party. Because it was Halloween, they decided to make it a masquerade party. So they were all given directions on how to get to this place. They're driving down, and they somehow got their directions goofed up. And it's night, you know, and it's a section of the city that the lights weren't, street lights weren't great. They got their directions mixed up. And by the way, these two guys went to the masquerade party as mascots of Duke. And you know what Duke's mascot is? It's a blue devil. So these two guys are driving through town, dressed as blue devils, and they got to the spot and they thought, hey, there's the house, let's go in. They, they had the wrong place. It actually wasn't a house, it was being used as a house church. They, they came walking in and the congregation was just finishing up their prayer meeting. And so in from the back, you have these two guys dressed as devils coming down the aisles. And some of the people saw them, and they were terrified. You know, they started going. And as they're coming down, walking down the aisle, trying to get directions, there was this one particularly big woman sitting in the second pew. And everybody else fleeing. And she, because she was so big, she got stuck in the pews. And... I guess these guys, you know, forgot what they looked like, but they just saw this woman who was struggling, and they went down to help her, and as they got to her, her eyes rolled back, and she said, Stop! I want you to know I've been a member of this church for 25 years, but I've been on your side the whole time. <laughs> it's not what's on the outside that matters, is it? Where's the reality? 
Where's the real man? What, what are you being changed into? That's what I want for myself. That's what matters for eternity. That we follow Christ and we bring people with us and that we want them to be changed into his image. Because to be changed into our image is nothing but idolatry. But to be changed into the image of Christ, that's what ultimately matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us and your patience towards us. How we long, how we long to be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us instead of seeing things that don't go our way, instead of being frustrated with them, help us to see you behind the scenes using them to make us like Christ. Open our eyes, change our hearts. Thank you for guaranteeing your work that changing us from glory to glory until we are face to face in glory with you. This is my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.